Welcome to the podcast. I guess it's already happening. I'm Josh. I'm Dan. And um, we like to watch movies and talk about them. It's fun. It's a it's it's a touch point of of bonding for for me and and you, Dan. Is a that T- correct? A T of B. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The big thing that we both saw. It's kind of too late to talk about, and we can still do it because we both have thoughts. But um, once we'll upon a time, it. yeah, was two weeks ago. So in in twi- Twitter film land, that's like you know might as well be gone with the wind. But it's good now we can bring our sane takes, having had yeah. some time to reflect, letting whatever was said blow over. Now right. we can see things clearly. And I think we both really really liked this movie. Oh, I loved it. You know, I feel like obligated to to acknowledge the the criticisms and say that the the optics of of the ending and all that. I didn't see it until someone pointed it out, and I'll acknowledge it. But I think the unfortunate part is that everybody's breezing past what's so positive about this movie. Yeah, I agree. It to me is his warmest work. It's one that you know, even with all the violence, left me feeling wistful. And, you know, not teary necessarily, but in that direction, if I had to choose an emotion at the end, it's it's a world that you wish could have been and a world that will never be. And when you're kind of sitting in the middle of that kind of thinking, imagining your own uh, missed potential and your own lostness and wishing that the world could kind of come around you and hug you in the midst of all the nonsense and uh, violence and difficulty and that that just doesn't happen. And that's not what happened. I, I thought it was just a really uh, beautiful piece of uh, storytelling well-made in every way, as of course it would be with someone of uh, Tarantino's caliber. I loved uh, DiCaprio and Pitt. I don't know if I've ever liked Brad Pitt more than this, frankly, mm-hmm. I really liked it. DiCaprio is always good. And Margot Robbie, I, th- I thought she gave a wonderful performance. People were kind of saying, Oh, she doesn't have enough lines. She doesn't have lines, but her screen time, it's all face and it's all expression. And she is an icon of, you know, of herself, obviously, but also of old Hollywood that went away around the time that she was killed. And I I loved that connection. And I thought she just brought a, a brightness and an intelligence and a spark to the movie. I thought she did a great job. Absolutely. And to give her more character and more time and more adventures would have kind of been, I think that might've been inappropriate. I think it's, it's just the right amount of celebrating her life and her potential. And in a lot of ways, I, I actually appreciate this movie's restraint and it's like good heartedness because it kind of goes right past that whole stupid true crime zeitgeist, you know, Charlie Manson uh, fetishism. He's barely, you see Charlie Manson, what, once or twice in a glimpse in the movie? Mm-hmm. And uh, instead we focus on this charming actress. And uh, I don't know, I felt like it was a real rebuke of some of the more toxic celebrity culture of our time. It was it was surprising to me from from him. I mean, not not the detail and not the things that he kind of, the trademark things that he likes, the, the kind of, you know, the really specific recreations of radio and tv and film stuff but just the general tone of breezy joyfulness that i wasn't anticipating yeah i streamed the hateful eight 
after seeing this, which I'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. And it was fine. It's, you know, people having a good time who are in a Quentin Tarantino movie. I had no idea what, what, why we are here in this cabin. And then it goes back in time and you understand a little bit more of the backstory and it just, everything that happens though is terrible. Everyone comes to a terrible end and there's almost a fetishism and just how badly can we make things go for each and every character. You know, it's, it's so hopeless and despairing, whatever fun might be had along the way. And I thought, what a contrast to this one. To me, there's there's a vision of a better world, even if it's a world that never was, and it's a world we wonder if it could ever be. There there was a, a warmth and an aspiration, and it I left the theater feeling good. There's kind of this uh, through line of his most recent movies, um, I guess maybe accepting Hateful Eight, but from... Inglorious Bastards and Django and this one where he's using the trappings of genre filmmaking to rewrite history. And that's just kind of, I don't know, I kind of admire the way that he just does what he thinks would be good instead of, he doesn't feel beholden to anything other than his own interests. Right. Um, And I love that because film Twitter criticism is all about ideological purity and you've yep. got to make sure that the right kind of people are at the center of the stories and the people making it are the right kind of people. No one can make any cultural missteps or do anything offensive. And sometimes you might come out with a movie that's good that checks all of their boxes, but most of the time not, because mm-hmm. that's not how the world is. And if any proper artist is looking at the world, they're not going to they're going to reflect back what they see and what is true, not our aspirations necessarily. And I, yeah. and I see that in this movie. Yeah, unless there's something um, juicy and brand new that I really want to see, like maybe The Nightingale or something. Uh, the movie times for Thursday night are not in yet. They're not in until Wednesday morning. But I, if if there's nothing else that outshines it, I'm going to see this again this week. Yeah, I'd like to see it again, too. Uh, that was what I saw theatrically, and then I streamed a couple of titles. Okay. Well, uh, uh, not... why, why don't you do one of your streaming, and then I'll tell you my other theatrical. Oh, okay. Uh, nothing exciting on, on any of my uh, remaining titles, but I streamed murder mystery on Netflix. Uh, Oh, solely. It's a, this is an Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston joint, Mm -hmm. uh, because I heard on another podcast that it was okay. (laughs) And I needed something kind of breezy to put on in the background while I did other things. And it is okay. It's fine. And I think that's kind of notable for an Adam Sandler movie and especially for an Adam Sandler, uh, Netflix movie. I remember way back he was getting some buzz for that punch drug punch drunk love. Oh yeah, that's that's that a like, PT Anderson film. Oh, he you know he's crossing release, over. Yeah. You know, I feel like there was that conversation going on way back then. Right, right. But he made a deal a couple years ago with Netflix and he's pumped out a lot of movies and and most of them have been considered like subpar even for his dumbest uh classic movies huh. that he's made. But this is a um competent kind of international mystery story. And um, he's not, the thing that I guess I appreciated about it is that he's not like man, a loony man child, Adam Sandler in this movie. He's like put upon middle age husband, Adam Sandler, mm. a little more relatable. It's just as depressing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know. It just, it's more interested in, in being a kind of a silly mystery than it is in being like the, a, a shocking comedy or anything. So, 
it's it's like a two and a half star affair at best. It's not great, but it's a diversion. It feels like an appropriate Netflix thing because it feels like a TV movie. Not a glowing review, but there it is. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> All right. You're going to love my next one. Then. <laughs> You're going to love my next one. What did you see in the theater, Dan? What else did you see? Uh-oh. I went to see Dancing Elephant. What? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I can't even find a Wikipedia entry. <laughs> it was in the theater. It sure was. Um, Dancing Elephant. After a car accident, a 13-year-old girl who is, by the way, a prima ballerina, falls into a coma. And 15 years later, she regains consciousness, though now she is obese. And she wants to pick up her dancing career where she left off in hopes of winning a competition so that she can pay off her medical bills because her father has been reduced to clowning in a circus. And so she, and, and if you think that maybe it's a mean title, she actually has a pet elephant as a child. So that's what that's about. And whenever she dances, the soundtrack makes elephant sounds. Anyway, (laughs) she finds, (laughs) she finds her three friends who were with her on the day of the accident. And one of them is, uh, an exotic dancer and another one of them is a failing student and the last one is a bad masseuse is this an american film no and it's in chinese okay okay i think and they all decide to follow her and to come under the tutelage of this dance instructor now the dance instructor has some issues with his father who throws him out. I'm not sure if it's because he's gay and I'm not sure if he's gay, but that's like the the vibe I got. But maybe the father just thought it wasn't appropriate for a man to be a dancer. I wasn't sure what that was about totally, if it was about his sexuality or if it was about the profession. And we kind of get um flashbacks to his trauma of fights with his father. Mm. But he tutors these these hopeless young women, they get on a television competition program. It's all rigged in a cruel way. And I'm, I have no clue what happened in the last act. It's frenetic and it's the TV show and then it's real life. And then they're doing this performance and then everything goes wrong, but the audience goes wild. And there are split loyalties with people who knew each other years ago. And it's all very confusing and I don't think they won, or I really have no clue what happened in the end, but they learned the joys of friendship and of doing your best, even when society says that you shouldn't be a ballet dancer. And, you um, like an elephant. <laughs> you know, that, that thing came through so many times. And they, they have a few song breaks where they just kind of make music videos. Uh, like a montage of whatever it is they're doing. And she, the girl was disappointed to learn upon waking up from the coma that her elephant had died, gotten sick and died. But then near the end of the film, we find out that her father lied to her because he didn't want to upset her. But actually the elephant is just deadly sick and has been for a long time because he wandered the streets of China after she was hit by a truck. And the elephant okay. doesn't seem to recover. I think he dies in the end, and he doesn't have any part in the climax of helping her achieve her dreams. 
It wasn't the best movie I saw this year. <laughs> no. Computer generated elephant. Completely or? computer generated. And in the age of Dumbo, I understand that that's high end. This looked so fake. Like this looked, I would say, oh. early nineties CGI. Oh wow! In a in a B movie sort of quality of the elephant, it was it was noticeably bad. All right, but it's a highly recommend for yeah. me if you get a chance. I would totally love your take on it. Dance picks. All right. Well, I'll, dancing uh, elephant. You heard it here first and only. Thanks for putting that on our radar. I was going to see the farewell tomorrow night, but now I'm going <laughs> to. Well, the farewell is a better uh, Chinese based yeah. movie by far. Uh, okay. Well, quickly, the only other thing I saw, and I just streamed it now, actually, as I was waiting for us to begin. There is a movie on Amazon Prime called Mystery Team, which is a hmm. comedy movie from 2009. Gosh, it's only 10 years old. It seems like it, it felt like it was 15 years old, at least. It is. Uh, how do I describe it? It's a comedy movie starring Donald Glover and DC Pearson and another dude whose name I don't remember. And they're like, I guess they were a sketch group or something. And they make they they play these kind of Pee Wee Herman kind of man child characters that are the mystery team. They're all like physically like 18 years old, but they act like little kids and they go around and solve mysteries about who's been sticking their fingers in the pie and whatever. And then they get caught up in this extremely dangerous seedy actual mystery and it's very cheesy it's not good it looks like it has like the aesthetic of like a christian movie like an amateur movie that like people lucky to get made and it has lots of comedy people uh making appearances in their 10 years ago form like aubrey plaza and ben schwartz ellie kemper bobby moynihan john daly uh, it's a, it's a curio. It's worth it just to like kind of gape at the people that are in it. How it goes from like really airy internet sketch comedy humor to being extremely vulgar and disgusting the next moment. It is uh, it's a curiosity. Not not recommended unless that sounds interesting to you. I mean, I've sat through worse this. I'm week. sure you have. <laughs> no, knowing you, I'm sure that you have. I streamed a couple old things that I won't go into, but. I've never seen um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf before, and I watched that. And uh, last night I watched uh, All the President's Men. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I I I wasn't watching it that closely. It seemed like about as abrupt an ending as No Country for Old Men. Right. (laughs) Suddenly he is impeached and resigned. Or didn't impeach, but, you know, he's going to be impeached and resigned. Wow. Of the two, that's the only one that I've seen. And I revisited it fairly recently in the last couple of years. Yeah, they were they were good movies. I was I was yeah. glad to you know sit and watch one of these things that everybody seen but me. Elizabeth Taylor, thirty four, in that mm-hmm. movie, unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, unbelievable. She seems like like an older woman, and I'm older than that. I have an yeah. aging thing lately. Re- real thing with aging. Oh, well, just wait till tomorrow. You're going to be even older. <laughs> I know. It's not like I don't like it. It's it's kind of like I can't believe it. I don't I don't understand what this season of life is. Yeah. It's against my identity. Do you consider yourself middle-aged? Yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, this this is the middle. It's the right. middle. I'm in the middle generation right now. I think for so long, since I live in church land, someone who's in their 20s in church is one of the young people. And so you're just kind of used to people seeing you as the younger person. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not seen as the younger person anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's weird to come to grips with that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Speaking of aging and landmarks and milestones, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that this is episode 20 of Holds Up. Is it? I didn't even know. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Yep. I mean, that's a silly landmark, but it. Probably, I'm guessing a whole lot of podcasts of our stature don't make it to 20 episodes, so good for us. Hello, world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's take a break, and then we'll talk about the movie everyone's dying to hear us talk about. <laughs> when we when we come back Welcome back Dan and Josh here episode 20 with the fan requested you asked for it weeks on weeks we did like a one of those things uh, what's the thing where uh, they a poll a survey no for like the basketball it's like a oh, bracket we did a like bracket a, <laughs> yeah you know you ask between this one and this one and then we came down this one and this one to the godfather two we've been doing it for weeks and gattaca <laughs> well gattaca dan as you i guess you now know is a 1997 near futuristic noir movie written and directed by new zealander andrew nickel who also wrote the truman show oh and, i didn't know uh, that directed yeah directed another movie i liked called lord of war gattaca stars ethan hawk uma thurman and jude law with alan arkin lauren dean gore vidal tony shaloub a favorite mm-hmm. blair underwood and Ernest Borgnine, Oscar winner Ernest Borgnine, in a triumphant role, among many others. So, Dan, this is a noir parable about, um, I don't know, eugenics, basically. A, a society evolved from our own, wherein gene analysis, genetic testing, is used to predict everything about a person and their potential and their station. And Ethan Hawke plays Vincent, a, I guess they call him a faith-born child whose genes have not been altered or optimized. And uh, he suffers from a heart condition and limitations which render him invalid. He is an invalid, according to the standards of that society. Unlike his younger brother, Anton, who is engineered to be valid they actually mess with his genes and he is born to be perfect and achieve great things um it's vincent's dream to go into space which i guess is a thing in this society that if you're good at stuff and you have a good job you get to go into space wearing a suit it's all he wants but sadly he has no chance of achieving this because of his genetic uh, stature and he leaves home in disgrace because of this Then he employs the help of a fixer played by the great Tony Shalhoub, who matches him up with a paralyzed valid named Jerome Morrow, played by Jude Law. And then Vincent must scrub himself of his own genetic debris and carry vials of Jerome's various secretions with him. And doing so, climbs the ladder uh, at Gattaca, which the very name being a play on genetic formulation. And then he makes it to the space exploration level 
Eventually, he is selected for a space mission, which would be the culmination of his life's dream. But a murder investigation inside Gattaca threatens to expose him. And meanwhile, he meets a girl named Irene, who is definitely a woman and definitely is a character in this movie. I liked this movie a whole lot, Dan, back in 1997. I remember thinking it was smart. It had big ideas. I liked that it was cerebral and it wasn't very action-packed. Uh, and I, I think I do continue to admire the fact that it is a character story. It's about uh, writing and performance. It's not about spectacle. And, and I do like the way it's directed. But before I get into it more deeply, uh, what is your history and experience with the film Gattaca? I don't think I have any history or experience with it. It is not Gothica starring Halle Berry. That's right. Which I thought maybe it was, but it's not. I was happy and to so, confirm for you that it is. <laughs> therefore, I don't have any history with this movie. This was the first time I watched it. All right. How did that go? I, okay. I think, <laughs> I don't know where to begin with this. It, I like the 90s-ness of it. Yes. Everything is scorched in the 90s. That's just what I'm learning. Everything's <laughs> through a filter. Um, what a cast. Yeah. It would only go on to great things. At the time, we didn't necessarily know this about them. This was, you know, before um, a lot of them came to real fame. I noticed that uh, Maya Rudolph's even in it as the yes. delivery nurse. Huh? <laughs> Maya Rudolph <laughs> and Ken Marino are both invisible, but in those right. scenes. Right. I love Jude Law more than ever. I don't know why it's not been so recently that I've been a Jude yeah. Law fan. But when I think he's MVP back, here, not to interrupt you, but. Oh, absolutely he is. It's a thankless part, and yet he brings so much life and interest to it. Yeah. Um, I was grossed out from the beginning. I caught on immediately that this is microscopic body stuffs, and I didn't it's like that at all. Right. And fingernail clippings not a sexy way to start a movie. <laughs> no, and these like, hairs and disgusting. <laughs> and I'm just so curious as to why this has to be. And that forensically is not really helpful. There's no way to trick anybody into not knowing you've been someplace you sneeze you know the, the, yeah. any any little piece of hair or eyelashes we find can right. fall off your body in the course of the day or you and, eat a bad egg salad sandwich and you puke on the floor right right anything can happen and of course i'm watching this through the eyes of 2019 so in 97 we didn't know what the future was going to hold but especially with the advances in communication there's none of that in this movie there there's one moment to me where he made sort of a phone call sort of thing on his watch. But other than that, this, this idea where we identify people so easily, say through social media accounts or online presence, that's completely missing from this vision for the future. I felt like it would be absolutely impossible for this character to stay anonymous in the actual future. But whatever, taking yeah. this film on its own terms, right? Right, sure. And saying that this is this noir parable it is is what's going on. I found a lot of the stuff to be so excessive. The idea that anytime you'd enter a facility, they'd take blood, prick you, and you'd just be covered in sores all the time. Right. And it's so dirty. Like, yeah. all the, you know, it's, it's, I, I was caught up on, on these details that is not the point. Like, they thought it through. They thought through, you know, the fingertip and the blood inside, I guess. But yeah. how exhausting. And no body scanners or anything that would detect that he's got like a bag of pee on his leg. Right. Not, you know, they could never find out any well, of we that. We find out in the end, though, that the, the main doctor who does the 
check-ins yes is on to him the whole time so is he is is he just bumbling through and this guy's well, covering a for him big pervert like i didn't understand since of course they're not going to show um some full frontal with ethan hawk are we to understand that there's some sort of a tube running behind his penis that's effectively making it look like he's actually urinating because that doctor's watching right when he's peeing and i guess it looks normal yeah. for him to be releasing it that way yeah i didn't get whatever. that how that was the blocking of that and so early in the movie i felt right. like well wait how's that working and there was a thing with the handedness mm-hmm. right isn't jerome right-handed and right yeah. vincent is left-handed that's a huge tell yeah. for a thing for a culture that is so looked after by cameras and everyone's on a state right. of high suspicion like automatons in all these years they wouldn't have noticed a different dominant hand yeah. but whatever um <laughs> i my the thing i just kept getting stuck on what was the um the world beneath the world uh, that's mm-hmm. where i was incredulous i enjoyed the movie on the whole and i enjoyed watching it and i like um things that kind of release your imagination to a a world that's different than the one i lived in i liked it um here's one big issue that i had and i think it might just have been my white guy face blindness Mm-hmm. Was I supposed to know the whole time that that detective was his brother? <laughs> no, that's supposed to be a gotcha. Is that supposed to be with... a surprise? Oh, good. Because... It's not a good one, but it was supposed to shock you. Well, it was then so mishandled as if it were nothing and if, as if we should have always known because I wasn't going to watch the whole thing again, but I kind of wanted to right. say, have they never crossed paths this whole big investigation? This guy's like the lead on it. It seemed like the whole reason for Alan Arkin's character is just to hide that brother from Vincent. Yeah. Because it seems like that could have been one character. Right. I So I loved this movie in the theater, as I've told you. I owned it on DVD. I watched it probably multiple, many times. I did not remember that was the twist. I did not remember that was his brother. <laughs> is it such and, a weird... It, it's, it's like, I don't... There wasn't enough underneath it and behind it for that to... For, for there to be any feelings about it right and why did they swim why was that an ongoing thing is that like part of the parable that it's i don't you know, know and oh it's, it's a mystical thing and they're right. swimming and i guess it was to give them a performance thing and that's visual but the confusing thing is that jude law is also a former swimmer yeah and that was his big downfall was that he didn't win a race that he was projected to win and so swimming on both sides, yeah, that's very strange. Yeah, I didn't like the world that they created. It sounds awful. The idea that someone kisses you and then walks into some testing center to be swabbed to find out if right. you were a worthy yeah. partner genetically. I mean, that's a gross way to think. Same yeah. uh, in, On the same token, though, it isn't unethical to look into someone's um, DNA or family history to make determinations about things that they do in some cases. You know, family history is looked at as relevant when you're trying, let's say, to get insurance or mm-hmm. if you're going to be launched into space. If right. you've got a bad heart or you can't see, they're not going to do it right. because it's not to penalize you or to oppress you. It's because these missions aren't easy and they're expensive and we can't have someone dying in space when it might have been prevented. Right. It's it's not a bad thing. Yeah. If this movie was made today, well, there wouldn't they wouldn't be using CRT monitors for one thing. That was one little glitch in the uh, the maison scene, the set dressing was that they had these tube TVs with rounded screens everywhere. Um, 
But I, I think two things would be different. If this was made today, it would not be as nuanced and kind of low key and just exploring the ideas. I think it would be with our attitude towards genetics now as, as in general in in the US at least there would be an evil conglomerate with a big villainous, you know, CEO, a militarized conglomerate and then it would be uh Vincent and Irene uh, against the system and then there'd have to be some spectacular thing where they bring it all down from the inside. And they didn't do that. But I guess on the other side of the coin, if it was made today, I think maybe Uma Thurman would have had a role and something to do. Yeah, she kind of just wandered through the the movie, sort of. And she's am- a, such a fascinating presence that I just wanted I know. to know more and I wanted her to do something. Her character was indifferent to the action. Yeah. At some point, seeming like she's committed to, the, to Gattaca and other times... She's taking one for the team to try to help Vincent along, but she has no idea how she's helping him. She's just going along. Yeah. And then her one big contribution is to be forced to kiss a man on the lips. Yes. (laughs) Really uncomfortable. And then at the end, when it's revealed that the director was behind the murder, he's like smiling like an idiot in the corner. Like, guilty. Is Gore Vidal, I, he's an author and a, and a, he's not an actor. Yeah, that's, he? I don't know. I, I thought he was, I think of him as a writer. Yeah. Oh yeah, that seems strange. I, I didn't think he was bad throughout the movie. That was a very strange, you just, he did at least give him some business or a line. I know. It seemed like, in the back. like Kristen Wiig. Yeah, yeah, I did it. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm like kind of stuck between admiring the spareness of the movie and how it, it I, I'm supposed to like restrained, you know, intelligent movies. And I also like that they don't overdo it with techno babble and they don't over explain right. things, uh-huh. even though it's a hard sell. It'd be worse. I think if they did that. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was human in its way. I like the mood. I like the atmosphere, even though I wouldn't want to live in it. I found the whole thing interesting. Um, I just kept on getting distracted by what was that? What? No. <laughs> throughout. <laughs> throughout. Come on. Exactly. Um, I Again, I appreciate that it's not good guys versus bad guys and that there's not some simplistic thing. The tagline of the movie is there's no gene for the human spirit. And that has nothing to do with the film. No, I know. It's not about like there's no triumph of the human spirit here. There's the I guess the determination of Vincent to do this ruse. But then in the end, everything's compromised. The ending is is compromised for him and tragic for uh, Jerome which is another thing I'm not quite sure. Yeah, nor am I. The ruse, though, is only toward his own selfish purposes. Right. It isn't as if he has somehow freed the other invalids or something. Right, he didn't prove anything about himself or anybody. He he just, right, all he wanted to do was be shot into space because that's just been a lifetime interest of his. Right, (laughs) I know. And when it seems like he's made it through every obstacle, there's just like one more P test or whatever it is. Right. And the doctor's like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> Go on. Get right. your flight. Yep. And I was like, what? How about just skip that entirely? Because why was it there? Yeah. Or give the doctor a little more to do such that that is some sort of apex of his storyline that he pushes him through. What is the meaning of that? Right. And suddenly other people can also do that, like his son. What if he goes ahead and dies in space because yeah. his body's not right. up to it? Then he's letting everybody else down. Is this because I know that genetics was not a new idea in the 1990s, but was it 
because cloning and those things were, be- were coming to the forefront and technology was advancing and our reading of the genome and all that was what it, it feels more just like playing with new ideas than it does like diving in really that really could be because i think people thought okay great we can make this sheep and what if you took the building blocks of humanity you could right. make this thing but what would it be um, though it had nothing to do with the actual movie, the tagline, what is the human spirit or whatever, um, was something that was on people's minds. I don't think that this film explored that in the least. Yeah. Because the most human characters were Hawk and Law, and I don't understand how either of their stories ended. Why did Jude Law need to kill himself at the end? I didn't get that. Right. The only thing I can connect it to is when he confesses drunkenly that he he paralyzed himself right because he didn't win the swimming thing but like so is he just finishing the job yeah it's it's not like it doesn't feel inevitable like it should feel inevitable and moving and 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 tragic it just feels kind of like oh okay i guess he's they should have made right and it made it seem almost like vincent knew he wasn't coming back or at least wasn't coming back as Mm -hmm. um that character what's his name jerome Right. Because he said he wasn't going to need all that stuff, you know, even though Jude Law like gave him all of his blood and pee and did all of that work and said, I don't need that. Right. Um, But it made it seem either he doesn't feel like he's coming back, like he will die on the space mission or when he gets back, his dreams will have been fulfilled and he's going to return to life as Vincent. Right. It seems like one of those two things are going to happen. I um, wish yeah. that they would have made more of a connection between those two characters and as one blasts off to his destiny, the other fades away, you know, both in flames, really. Right. Um, made that a little more direct. Yeah. And made us understand Jude Law's motivation better, because why wouldn't he have just killed himself a long time ago? Right. Did he feel like he this was his last contribution, that at least he could allow someone else to accomplish their dream if he couldn't accomplish his they should have made him a more hopeless, despairing right. character throughout. At least make it feel more poetically right. inevitable that this is what, there's a reason he needs to do this. Right. Because really, he had the most life of any character in the film. Yeah. He had the most spark and seemed to enjoy it. And, and I, I, get I liked him best. Nebulous ending. That's that's what this kind of movie would trade in. Sure. And Ethan Hawke has the little speech at the end and am I going home or whatever. Um, but it's not the possibilities are not set up to the point where I'm left kind of swimming in them. And it's just kind of like, Oh, okay. Um, what can't, the only two things that can happen is he dies there or he comes back to be arrested and disgraced. And yeah, because by then they would certainly know what had happened. And I think of the theme throughout that I don't save any energy for the way back. And I think that's what he's doing for the space Mm -hmm. mission. He doesn't plan to. So then we just have a pair of suicides at the end of the movie. Right. And there you go. Right. One person born naturally. The other person, I mean, I guess we're to understand that Jerome was was generated, right? If he had perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And neither one worked out. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I would maybe need to watch it again to get a better feel yeah. for what it was trying to say. Uh I should probably always go with my instincts and not bring up things like this. I'm not asking you this, Dan, because you're my gay co-host. It's because you're the only other co-host. I don't have another person I can ask this of. Did you feel like this movie was heavily concentrated on 
male bonding and male bodies and manness? Um, I didn't. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> tell me asked and answered. <laughs> and I, <laughs> tell tell me uh, what you're I just mean of. that from the opening shot from the opening sequence which is basically naked Ethan Hawke rubbing himself I just and the swimming I felt like this movie uh, was way more comfortable with the relationships of men and it didn't know what to do with its femme fatale you know with its big movie star romance it didn't have, it was totally clumsy with that oh yeah see that's <laughs> that's how I'm the gay co-host <laughs> I didn't even think of it it's just like, you're right. They didn't really care very much about Uma Thurman, even when she's in a sexual situation. Yeah. Um, one thing I would like to point out where maybe I felt lost for, for a moment was when he's trying to scrub himself nude on the shore <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in the morning, moments of morning. What? Right. <laughs> that, that seems unconscionable and ridiculous. Right. Um, no, I don't know. I, I felt everything was so clinical. Yeah. And maybe with like a DNA thing, that's what they were going for, where he's just in this little little chamber doing gross stuff to me. Yeah. And to me, there wasn't any um, homoeroticism between the two characters, mm-hmm. though they, I did, I guess, yeah, they, I guess you know, I, I share guess a dinner together. And I guess what I'm saying then is I'm realizing between the director and the characters, maybe not between the mm. characters themselves, it just felt like the movie that the directors uh, had an eye for the, yeah, 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 for the, had a gaze at the, at the men in the movie. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't titillated by it. Right, okay. I guess that's uh, where we differ you and me. <laughs> All right, Dan, I think that's Gattaca in a, <laughs> in a Petri dish, put the G and the A in Gattaca. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, this is our uh, 20th show. <laughs> what you get folks, you get what you pay for with holds up. <laughs> Cabin Boy Gattaca. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a catch-up episode because you're going to be away for a couple weeks, but we will be back next week, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, this has been our podcast. We have been Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. Shows at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, all of you, and we'll catch up with you soon. Have a good one, Dan. You too. So I think we could, um, I could do an extra episode Friday evening. Okay. Would six o'clock be too, my time be too early for you? Um, I could probably do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's three <laughs> my time, right? Yeah. 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 I'm going to eat a pop tart. And then we'll only miss one week after, you know, I'll, I'll post the, that episode next week. People won't have to be too disappointed. Yeah. By the way, I looked at our stats on Apple, and we have five unique devices listening. <laughs> that includes our phones. So <laughs> three people. Yeah, it's more than none. I hadn't thought of it that way.